Welcome to the Concordia Publishing House podcast, where we consider everything in the light of Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm your host, Elizabeth Pittman. Donna Snow returns to the podcast today to talk about her new Bible study, Meant for Good, a study of Joseph. In Meant for Good, readers will explore the grand story of Joseph as he faithfully waits for God's plans to come together. Before we get started with our conversation with Donna, I'd like to thank our friends at the LCMS Foundation for their support of CPH Podcast. Imagine a future where your God-given gifts continue to benefit your family and faith after you're called home to heaven. The LCMS Foundation can help you create a gift plan so that your retirement accounts, home or land, will leave a lasting impact on the people you love and on the ministries you care about the most. Learn more about creating your gift plan at lcmsfoundation.org. Now on to our conversation with Donna Snell. Donna, welcome back to the podcast. It's so wonderful to be back. Thank you for having me. It's good to see you again. We saw each other recently in real life, and the excitement that you have for your newest Bible study is contagious. Tell us a little bit about what's coming next for me for you. Well, Joseph, it's called Meant for Good, and it's an in-depth a really rich study of Joseph's life. And it's a methodical going through of basically a third of the book of Genesis. It's Genesis 37 to 50. And it's just an epic journey through history and the drama of basically a derailed life. And it's just a phenomenal, uh, he's just such a phenomenal character in scripture. So your, your last study was chosen study of Esther and I know readers responded to that one just overwhelmingly positive. We were talking about that before we started recording. It's it's still going strong. Readers are excited to dig into that book. What can your readers have chosen expect from Joseph? Well, a lot of the same <laughs> because I well, I love um, pulling in the history and the culture because it makes the story make sense. It puts everything in context. So when you realize what's going on around the character's life, it helps enrich the study because it helps us understand why some things we wouldn't understand otherwise. And of course, this time we're going to ancient Egypt instead of ancient Persia. So that's fun. Well, you do do a great job of setting up the reader for what they can expect on this trip into ancient Egypt. You know, it's like Persia is a fascinating time in history and fascinating context. What are some of the things that you learned about ancient Egypt um, that might've either surprised you or that were just, you found really fascinating? You know, one of the things, and I probably learned this in high school in another life and forgot, but there were women pharaohs and I actually didn't realize that Cleopatra was actually a pharaoh. And I didn't realize that until I did this study. But the the cool thing about this is, you know, I worked with, um, you know, some scholars and people much smarter than myself to actually pinpoint who likely would have been the pharaoh when Joseph lived, when he was prime minister, when he was elevated. And so we kind of narrowed it down to Egypt's 12th dynasty, which ended up being one of Egypt's greatest eras. And so it's kind of like King David when he was Israel's greatest king during the golden age. We kind of find that parallel in Joseph's story in one of Egypt's greatest times. And so there, there's so much that was fascinating. The history is, is really neat to get into. And it, 
you're right. It does add so much and you start to make these connections and the aha moments. Um, it just, it adds a whole level of, of richness to the time in the book. Mm-hmm. As you talk, as you get started in meant for good, you talk about Joseph and you, ref- you describe him as being one of the most Christ-like figures in the scriptures. Tell us a little bit more about that. Well, one of the things I love about scripture is that we see the patriarchs, you know, warts and all. But what we see in Joseph's life is we really have to press our nose close to the glass to see any any flaw in his character. And I mean, just think about it. He literally ran from temptation where you have King David taking a walk on a roof and just looking at a beautiful woman and he's all in. You know, there's, if I may say it that way, but it's just so different. Um, and there's so many parallels to Joseph's life, to Jesus' experience. I mean, he was a, a shepherd who was deeply loved by his father. He was betrayed and sold for silver and turned over to Gentiles. And I just love the fact that we don't really see Joseph messing up. He just kept his eyes on the Lord. And that's so instructive. We do know that when he was sold to Egypt, he entered this really dark time. I mean, we've all had dark times in our lives, um, but in a, it can be hard to see while we're in the midst of it. But there can be benefits that come through these situations. What what are some of the benefits that might come from experiencing a dark time and how did that play out for Joseph? Well, I think some of the benefits is when we're in a dark time, it basically means it's a time we didn't see coming. And I think in those times, we discover and even have an opportunity to hone some of our God-given gifts. And we see that in Joseph's life. We see the fact that Joseph never whined like at all. And that's so stark to our culture today. I think the closest we see to Joseph whining and that you can't even really call it that is when he ended up in prison and he asked the cupbearer to remember him to Pharaoh. That's it. We don't see him sitting in a corner and whining or throwing fits. And we see him always leveraging his God-given gifts for good. And what's really cool about that is the people saw it. Potiphar saw it. The prison guard saw it. And it Joseph wasn't overtly evangelizing. He He witnessed by his actions. And that is so instructive to us because I think we're in a whining culture, you know, guilty is charged and we have a choice. We can either shine a light or whine in the shadows. Well, and, you know, we say it to kids all the time, you know, actions speak louder than words. Mm-hmm. So it's our, our actions do matter and how we carry it out. And people will recognize if our actions don't match our words. hmm you talk about experience experiencing spiritual dehydration. Um, and this is in the section where you're writing about uh, the famine and when Joseph's um, dreams are foretold. Tell us, can you define what you mean by that? Well, that, I mean, if you've experienced it, I, I certainly have. It's when you feel drained, almost like you're exhausted from the inside out, like you've been through a lot and you're just, you're done. You know, and that's a spiritual hydration that goes beyond like I've just had a long day. It's a long lasting dehydration. And that's kind of how I define it. It's almost like I'm picturing like, just give me a long time out. Just let me out of this. Let me be done. 
exactly. Give me a break. I think we're all there after the pandemic. I think we're all there. There have been times I've said to, to a friend, I'm like, I just need somebody to come and be a conservator for my entire life. <laughs> Tell me when to eat, drink, sleep. Just take over for me for a few minutes. I have one of those phrases. I say, I need an Alice in my life, like the Brady Bunch. Yeah. You just need an Alice to take care of all the stuff so you can focus on life. Ah, that's a good idea. Yeah, I need an Alice. I need an Alice. Um, So what advice can you share for those who are experiencing spiritual dehydration? I think you're right. We all do experience it at some point. Um, And if we recognize that, what are some things that we can do to help us through that dehydration? You know, I think in our comparison culture, I think it comes down to giving ourselves permission to rest and not go at 90 miles an hour. I mean, when you run into someone, the first thing you, you know, you say, how are you doing? They're like, I'm busy. Well, okay. Toward a good thing, or is it just busyness, you know, or is it just trying to keep up? And I think we don't give ourselves permission to rest. And I mean, coming out of that spiritual hydration, it's spending structured time in the word and prayer. And you have to give yourself rest to have that time to do it. Because I think when we're running 90 to nothing, that's kind of the first thing that goes structured study time and, and structured prayer time where there's a time and a place where it's like a date and you don't miss it because over time that is going to what rehydrate you from the inside out. What are the warning signs that we should look for that we are either experiencing spiritual dehydration or are in are coming really close to it? Uh, there's so many things. Um, well, fatigue, of course, but I think anger also. Um, impatience. I know that when my bandwidth is at the end, patience just kind of goes out the window sometimes. I'm just like, can you finish that sentence a little faster? You know, um, sometimes coarse talk, um, poor decision making. There's so many things. The presence of letting um, letting sin in or a lifestyle slide that that's not as God honoring as it could be. There's so many warning signs that God gives us before basically we're just down and out, you know, and if we're paying attention, we'll see them. Mm -hmm. And that's key to be aware enough to how you're acting and reacting in situations so that we can identify those when they pop up. And that's the fine line. Cause if you're going 90 miles an hour, you don't have the bandwidth a lot of time to pause and identify. Mm -hmm. And man, that's just one of those spiritual disciplines that we have to get better at, you know, self-included. No, I'm right there with you. There's, there was a time where it slammed into me like, oh, I am in this in this place right now. And part of it was almost paralyzing for a minute. I'm like, wait a minute, I don't have the time to get out of it. And I had to restart to rethink intentionally. Okay, I've recognized that I'm I'm in this period. How I I need to take steps to overcome that. Not that's, that's going to require some behavioral changes for a while. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of hard because mm-hmm. it's 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 when we are all busy and there are a million things coming at once, it can be really tough to step back and um, take care of yourself. Well, and that's kind of when you realize who around you loves you enough to let you do that. Mm -hmm. Because some demanding people, they're first and it doesn't matter what you're going through. So you really find out your friends and enemies also. (laughs) This is true. Um, What are some lessons that we can learn from Joseph on forgiveness? Oh man, where do I begin? (laughs) It just, you know, what stands out to me is 
Joseph never debated extending it ever. We don't see him saying, should I, you know, it's going to be hard. We never see him going back and forth. Like I think a lot of us do like, do my brothers deserve to be forgiven? We don't ever hear that from Joseph. It was, I mean, he tested his brothers to determine if they had a changed life and a changed heart, but he never withheld forgiveness. And he never debated whether or not it should go forward. It was almost like a done deal. He just needed them in front of him to start the process. And man, that's instructive to us. Because I think when we get hurt, I know when I get hurt, it's like, wait a second, do they deserve my forgiveness? Well, forgiveness is never for them. It's for us. Mm-hmm. Now, I was talking, we interviewed Pastor Chris Kennedy recently and um, we were talking about the differences between forgiving and forgetting, forgiveness and reconciliation, and um, unwillingness, and forget the other one. But there was that there was that last piece, that stubborn, like when you sit back and you think about it, do I really want to do this? And right. so, you know how we can be stubborn sometimes and think we know better. But it was an interesting conversation. Listeners, go back in the archives of the show, and you can hear that conversation with Pastor Kennedy. Um, Well, because it's a lifelong thing, we're going to keep getting hurt and we're going to keep having to extend forgiveness. And yes, we look to Jesus. We look to the cross to remember how much we've been forgiven. But man, it's easy to say until you have to take that step forward and actually do it. You talk about four different litmus tests that um, can apply to forgiveness. Can you talk about these a little bit more? I can. They're so fun. I almost put them in like four little tests. One of them is a general thoughts test. When you're talking about forgiving someone, if you, how do you find out if you've forgiven someone? Well, there's these litmus tests. And the first one is a general thoughts test. Like if you think you've forgiven someone, okay. When you think about that person generally, you know, can you think good thoughts about that person? Or do you still feel the bile rising up in your throat? You know, if the bile is there, you probably need to work some more on, you know, asking God to work forgiveness in you. Um, Another litmus test is a failure test. And that's basically, are you still wishing that person to fail at everything they do, like lose their job, crash their car, whatever it is? Are you still looking for that person to fail? And if you are, then it's time to go back to scripture, go back to prayer. Another one is a revenge test. You know, are you still plotting harm against that person, especially, you know, if they've hurt you deeply? Are you still, you know, crafting ways in your mind on how to get them back? If that's the case, definitely. um, Obviously, forgiveness has not worked itself in you and through you. So you go back to scripture and go back to prayer. And the last one is I call it an opportunity to help test. If that person who hurt you was in trouble, would you help them? Not should you, but would you? And that's, that's a litmus test. Um, you know, if you see him stranded on the side of the road, would you, you know, speed past him or would you actually stop? You know, and that's the thing. Um, you know, it's interesting, uh, you know, my history, I've had to work through forgiveness in a, in a very real way. And I've had people ask me, um, you know, you speak well about that person. Does that mean that that person is going to be your BFF again? Well, no, not necessarily. It just means that our culture doesn't recognize what forgiveness looks like. You know, forgiveness is I've forgiven that person and, you know, that's not something we could reconcile, but forgiven and off they went. But it's, um, you know, when I talk well about that person, people are like, oh, so you're best friends again. No, 
it just means that's forgiveness. And um, that's what God does when we are tenacious about it. There's so much there and you're right. It's culture doesn't recognize forgiveness and almost um, it's, it's almost countercultural because it's just not how we, we want to hold a grudge. We want to continue to be angry and keep dredging things up over and over again. But boy, God wants us to forgive. Yeah, he does. And what's interesting is scripture it's commanded. It's not suggested. I mean, reconciliation is, is encouraged, but it's not commanded. Forgiveness is commanded because forgiveness releases us. It has really nothing to do with the other person because chances are that person has gone on with their life and the anger and bitterness that we feel is caging us. And so what we're doing is actually allowing God to free us from the cage we've put ourselves in. Mm-hmm. As we start to wrap up, what do you hope that the readers of Meant for Good will take away from their time studying the life of Joseph? Hmm. Oh my gosh, there's so many things. Um, <laughs> I would say the tenacity to trust Jesus when life derails. I mean, that's because we don't know the life Joseph had planned, but I mean, being sold into slavery and being in prison probably wasn't it, you know, but the tenacity to trust Jesus when life derails. I think we've all experienced that globally now on some level. Um, I think another takeaway would be that in every situation we find ourselves to leverage the gifts God's given us because he could have landed in Potiphar's house and, and whined in a corner, but he leveraged his gifts and was elevated because he was capable. And the same thing happened in prison. He could have sat in a corner in shackles, but no, he leveraged his gifts and was able to be a blessing in that dark situation. And the same is true for us. Are we going to sit in the corner and whine? Are we going to leverage the gifts in the situation? Because God knew where we were going. It's not a surprise. So how are we going to react when we get there? And those really are the top two. And of course, forgiveness. That's just huge. That's just huge in our culture. But those, those three things, I think, yeah. Listeners, I think you'll enjoy your study of Joseph in Donna's new Bible study, Meant for Good. The study releases officially in April, but you can head to the link in our show notes and download a sample and learn more about Meant for Good, a study of Joseph. Donna, thanks so much for being with us today. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a blast. Listeners, till next time. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Concordia Publishing House podcast. I pray that this time was valuable to your walk with Christ. We'd love to connect with listeners on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Concordia Pub. Visit cph.org for more resources to grow deeper in the gospel.